Section 16 of The Black Poodle and Other Tales This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin The Black Poodle and Other Tales by F. Anstey The Curse of the Catafalques, Part 3 The opportunity came after dinner that evening, when we were all in the drawing-room, Lady Catafalque dozing uneasily in her armchair behind a fire-screen, and Chlorine in the further room, playing funeral dirges in the darkness, and pressing the stiff keys of the old piano with a languid, uncertain touch. Drawing a chair up to Sir Paul's, I began to broach the subject calmly and temperately. I find, I said, that we have not quite understood one another over this affair in the grey chamber. When I agreed to an appointment there, I thought, well, it doesn't matter what I thought, I was a little too premature. What I want to say now is that while I have no objection to you as Chlorine's father asking me any questions in reason about myself, I feel a delicacy in discussing my private affairs with a perfect stranger. His burning eyes looked me through and through. I don't understand, he said. Tell me what you are talking about. I began all over again, telling him exactly what I felt about solicitors and settlements. Are you well, he said sternly. What have I ever said about settlements or solicitors? I saw that I was wrong again, and could only stammer something to the effect that a remark of Chlorine's had given me this impression. "'What she could have said to convey such an idea passes my comprehension,' he said gravely. "'But she knows nothing. She's a mere child. I have felt from the first, my boy, that your aunt's intention was to benefit you quite as much as my own daughter. Believe me, I shall not attempt to restrict you in any way.' I shall be too rejoiced to see you come forth in safety from the grey chamber. All the relief I had begun to feel respecting the settlements was poisoned by these last words. Why did he talk of that confounded grey chamber as if it were a fiery furnace or a cage of lions? What mystery was there concealed beneath all this, and how, since I was obviously supposed to be thoroughly acquainted with it could i manage to penetrate the secret of this perplexing appointment while he had been speaking the faint mournful music died away and looking up i saw chlorine a pale slight form standing framed in the archway which connected the two rooms go back to your piano my child said the baronet augustus and i have much to talk about which is not for your ears but why not she said oh why not papa dearest mother augustus i can bear it no longer i have often felt of late that we are living this strange life under the shadow of some fearful thing which would chase all cheerfulness from any home more than this i did not seek to know i dared not ask but now when i know that augustus whom i love with my whole heart must shortly face this ghastly presence you cannot wonder if I seek to learn the real extent of the danger that awaits him. Tell me all. I can bear the worst, for it cannot be more horrible than my own fears. 
Lady Catafalque had roused herself and was wringing her long-mittened hands and moaning feebly. Paul, she said, you must not tell her. It will kill her. She is not strong. Her husband seemed undecided, and I myself began to feel exquisitely uncomfortable. Florine's words pointed to something infinitely more terrible than a mere solicitor. Poor girl, said Sir Paul at last. It was for your own good that the whole truth has been thus concealed from you. But now, perhaps, the time has come when the truest kindness will be to reveal all. What do you say, Augustus? I, I agree with you, I replied faintly. She ought to be told. Precisely, he said. Break it to her, then, the nature of the ordeal which lies before you. It was the very thing which I wanted to be broken to me. I would have given the world to know all about it myself, and so I stared at his gloomy old face with eyes that must have betrayed my helpless dismay. At last I saved myself by suggesting that such a story would come less harshly from a parent's lips. "'Well, so be it,' he said. "'Chlorine, compose yourself, dearest one. Sit down there and summon up all your fortitude to hear what I am about to tell you. You must know, then—' I think you had better let your mother give you a cup of tea before I begin. It will steady your nerves. During the delay which followed, for Sir Paul did not consider his daughter sufficiently fortified until she had taken at least three cups, I suffered tortures of suspense which I dared not betray. They never thought of offering me any tea, though the merest observer might have noticed how very badly I wanted it. At last the baronet was satisfied, and not without a sort of gloomy enjoyment and a proud relish of the distinction implied in his exceptional affliction, he began his weird and almost incredible tale. "'It is now,' he said, "'some centuries since our ill-fated house was first afflicted with the family curse which still attends it. A certain Humphrey de Califauc, by his acquaintance with the black art, as it was said, had procured the services of a species of familiar, a dread and supernatural being. For some reason he had conceived a bitter enemy toward his nearest relations, whom he hated with a virulence that not even death could soften. For by a refinement of malice he bequeathed this baleful thing to his descendants forever as an inalienable heirloom, and to this day it follows the title and the head of the family for the time being is bound to provide it with a secret apartment under his own roof. But this is not the worst. As each member of our house succeeds to the ancestral rank and honors, he must seek an interview with the curse, as it has been styled for generations. And in that interview it is decided whether the spell is to be broken and the curse depart from us forever, or whether it is to continue its blighting influence and hold yet another life in miserable thraldom. "'And are you one of its thralls, then, Papa?' faltered Chlorine. "'I am indeed,' he said. "'I failed to quell it as every catafalque, however brave and resolute, has failed yet. "'It checks all my accounts, and woe to me if that cold, withering eye discovers the slightest error, even in the pence column.' I could not describe the extent of my bondage to you, my daughter, or the humiliation of having to go and tremble monthly before that awful presence. Not even yet, old as I am, 
have I grown quite accustomed to it. Never in my wildest imaginings had I anticipated anything one quarter so dreadful as this, but still I clung to the hope that it was impossible to bring me into the affair. But, Sir Paul, I said, Sir Paul, you, you mustn't stop there, or you'll alarm Chlorine more than there's any need to do. She, ha, <laughs> ha, but don't you see, she's got some idea in her head that I have to go through much the same sort of thing. Just explain to her, I'm not a catafalque, Chlorine, so it, it can't interfere with me. That is so, isn't it, Sir Paul? Good heavens, sir, don't torture her like this, I cried as he was silent. Speak out. "'You mean well, Augustus,' he said, "'but the time for deceiving her has gone by. "'She must know the worst.' "'Yes, my poor child,' he continued to Chlorine, "'whose eyes were wide with terror, "'though I fancy mine were even wider. "'Unhappily, though our beloved Augustus "'is not a catafalque himself, "'he has, of his own free will, "'brought himself within the influence of the curse.' He, too, at the appointed hour, must keep the awful assignation and brave all that the most fiendish malevolence can do to shake his resolution. I could not say a single word. The horror of the idea was altogether too much for me, and I fell back on my chair in a state of speechless collapse. "'You see,' Sir Paul went on explaining, it is not all new baronets, but every one who would seek an alliance with the females of our race, who must, by the terms of that strange bequest, also undergo this trial. It may be in some degree owing to this necessity, that ever since Humphrey de Catafalque's diabolical testament first took effect, every maiden of our house has died a spinster. Here Chlorine hid her face with a low wail. In 1770, it is true, one solitary suitor was emboldened by love and daring to face the ordeal. He went calmly and resolutely to the chamber where the curse was then lodged, and the next morning they found him outside the door, a gibbering maniac. I writhed in my chair. "'Augustus!' cried Chlorine wildly. "'Promise me you will not permit the curse to turn you into a gibbering maniac!' I think if I saw you gibber, I should die. I was on the verge of gibbering then. I dared not trust myself to speak. Nay, Chlorine, said Sir Paul more cheerfully, there is no cause for alarm. All has been made smooth for Augustus. I began to brighten a little at this. His aunt Peoria has made a special study of the old world science of incantation, and had undoubtedly succeeded at last in discovering the master word which employed, according to her directions, would almost certainly break the unhallowed spell. In her compassionate attachment to us, she formed the design of persuading a youth of blameless life and antecedents to present himself as our champion, and the reports she had been given of our dear Augustus's irreproachable character led her to select him as a likely instrument and her confidence in his generosity and courage was indeed well-founded, for he responded at once to the appeal of his departed aunt, and with her instructions for his safeguard, and the consciousness of his virtue as an additional protection. There is hope, my child, strong hope, that, though the struggle may be a long and bitter one, yet Augustus will emerge a victor. 
I saw very little ground for expecting to emerge as anything of the kind, or, for that matter, to emerge at all, except in installments, for the master word which was to abash the demon was probably inside the packet of instructions, and that was certainly somewhere at the bottom of the sea, outside Melbourne, fathoms below the surface. I could bear no more. "'It's simply astonishing to me,' I said, "'that in the nineteenth century, hardly six miles from Charing Cross, "'you can calmly allow this hideous curse, "'or whatever you call it, to have things all its own way like this.' "'What can I do, Augustus?' he asked helplessly. "'Do anything,' I retorted wildly, for I scarcely knew what I said. "'Take it out for an airing. It must want an airing by this time. "'Take it out and lose it. Or get both the archbishops to step in and lay it for you. Sell the house. Make the purchaser take it at a valuation with the other fixtures. I certainly would not live under the same roof with it. And I want you to understand one thing. I was never told all this. I have been kept in the dark about it. Of course I knew there was some kind of curse in the family, but I never dreamed of anything so bad as this, and I never had any intention of being boxed up alone with it either. I shall not go near the grey chamber." "'Not go near it!' they all cried, aghast. "'Not on any account,' I said, for I felt firmer and easier now that I had taken up this position. "'If the curse has any business with me, let it come down and settle it here before you all in a plain, straightforward manner. Let us go about it in a business-like way. On second thought,' I added, fearing lest they should find means of carrying out the suggestion, "'I won't meet it anywhere.' "'And why?' "'Why won't you meet it?' they asked breathlessly. "'Because,' I explained desperately, "'because I'm, I'm a materialist.' I had not been previously aware that I had any decided opinions on the question. But I could not stay then to consider the point. "'How can I have any dealings with a preposterous supernatural something "'which my reason forbids me to believe in? "'You see my difficulty? "'It would be inconsistent to begin with, "'and, and extremely painful to both sides.' "'No more of this ribaldry,' said Sir Paul sternly. "'It may be terribly remembered against you when the hour comes. "'Keep a guard over your tongue for all our sakes, and more especially your own. "'Recollect that the curse knows all that passes beneath this roof, "'and do not forget, too, that you are pledged, irrevocably pledged. "'You must confront the curse.' Only a short hour ago I had counted Chlorine's fortunes and Chlorine as virtually mine, and now I saw my golden dreams roughly shattered forever, and oh, what a wretch it was to tear myself from them, what it cost me to speak the words that barred my paradise to me forever. But if I wished to avoid confronting the curse, and I did wish this very much, I had no other course. "'I had no right to pledge myself,' I said with quivering lips, "'under all the circumstances.' "'Why not?' they demanded again. "'What circumstances?' "'Well, in the first place,' I assured them earnestly, "'I'm a base impostor. I am indeed. "'I'm not Augustus McFadden at all. "'My real name is of no consequence, "'but it's a prettier one than that. "'As for McFadden, he, I regret to say, is now no more.' Why on earth I could not have told the plain truth here has always been a mystery to me. I suppose I had been lying so long that it was difficult to break myself of this occasionally inconvenient trick at so short a notice. But I certainly mixed things up to a hopeless extent. 
"'Yes,' I continued mournfully, "'McFadden is dead. I will tell you how he died, if you would care to know. During his voyage here he fell overboard and was almost instantly appropriated by a gigantic shark when, as I happened to be present, I enjoyed the melancholy privilege of seeing him pass away.' For one brief moment I beheld him between the jaws of the creature, so pale but so composed. I refer to McFadden, you understand, not the shark. He threw just one glance up at me, and with a smile, the sad sweetness of which I shall never forget. It was McFadden's smile, I mean, of course, not the shark's. He, courteous and considerate to the last, requested me to break the news and remember him very kindly to you all and in the same instant he abruptly vanished within the monster, and I saw neither of them again. Of course, in bringing the shark in at all I was acting directly contrary to my instructions, but I quite forgot them in my anxiety to escape the acquaintance of the curse of the catafalques. "'If this is true, sir,' said the baronet haughtily when I finished, "'you have indeed deceived us basely.' That, I replied, is what I was endeavouring to bring out. You see, it puts it quite out of my power to meet your family curse. I should not feel justified in intruding upon it, so if you will kindly let someone fetch a flyer or cab in half an hour. Stop! cried Chlorine. Augustus, as I will call you still, you must not go like this. If you have stooped to deceit, it was for love of me, and—and Mr. McFadden is dead— if he had been alive, I should have felt it my duty to allow him an opportunity of winning my affection, but he is lying in his silent tomb, and—and and I have learnt to love you. Stay, then, stay, and brave the curse. We may yet be happy. I saw how foolish I had been not to tell the truth at first, and I hastened to repair this error. When I described McFadden as dead, I said hoarsely, it was a loose way of putting the facts, because, to be quite accurate, he isn't dead. We found out afterwards that it was another fellow the shark had swallowed, and, in fact, another shark altogether. So he is alive and well now, at Melbourne, but when he came to know about the curse, he was too much frightened to come across, and he asked me to call and make his excuses. I have now done so, and will trespass no further on your kindness, if you will tell somebody to bring a vehicle of any sort in a quarter of an hour. Pardon me, said the baronet, but we cannot part in this way. I feared, when I first saw you, that your resolution might give way under the strain. It is only natural, I admit, but you deceive yourself if you think we cannot see that these extraordinary and utterly contradictory stories are prompted by sudden panic. I quite understand it, Augustus. I cannot blame you. But to allow you to withdraw now would be worse than weakness on my part. The panic will pass. You will forget these fears tomorrow. You must forget them. Remember, you have promised. For your own sake, I shall take care that you do not forfeit that solemn bond, for I dare not let you run the danger of exciting the curse by a deliberate insult." I saw clearly that his conduct was dictated by a deliberate and most repulsive selfishness. He did not entirely believe me, but he was determined that if there was any chance that I, whoever I might be, could free him from his present thraldom, he would not let it escape him. I raved, I protested, I implored, all in vain. 
they would not believe a single word i said they positively refused to release me and insisted upon my performing my engagement at last chlorine and her mother left the room with a little contempt for my unworthiness mingled with their evident compassion and a little later sir paul conducted me to my room and locked me in till he said i had returned to my senses End of Part 3 The Curse of the Catafalques Recording by Joyce Martin